Hello and welcome to the Adventure Games Podcast. My name is Shorsha Dunbar and I'm your host. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Adventure Games Podcast. I am with two brothers today, Chris and Nicholas uh, Bischoff. Yeah. I'm going to call you guys Beshioff, but I don't know why <laughs> I mentioned that that name. And well, I mean, it's a great start getting your names wrong at the very beginning. So <laughs> I, I hope I don't confuse you two, but I know I probably will. So um, first of all, how are you guys doing? Very well, thank you. Yeah, very, very well. I'm very tired, but uh, yeah, get, get, uh, get, getting there, getting there. <laughs> I, I can imagine you've just released a game, Beautiful Desolation. So I'm looking forward to talking about this. And um, by the way, I love your accents. I think uh, they're, they're the first time we've had such accents on this podcast. So can you guys, first of all, let listeners know where you're from? Chris, um, I'll start. Yeah, so um, we're, we, we, we live in uh, Cape Town, uh, Cape Town, South Africa, which, um, you know, if you look at a map of Africa, we're right at the tip, um, right on the ocean. The and, southernmost uh, point of, yeah. of South Africa, basically. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we, we're um, originally from Johannesburg, which uh, is um, sort of the main commerce city in South Africa. And we moved down to Cape Town a couple of years ago to make games full time. Well, well, as, uh, as I said, I've never I haven't been to South Africa yet, but I hope to go maybe this year, hopefully. Uh, but as I was telling you guys, my father loves South Africa. He's been several times. He has friends from South Africa. And he, he never plays any games, but when I told him about your game set in South Africa, his interest immediately went up. So uh, you, you might have another converter. Lovely, lovely. It would be very interesting to see how he plays it. But, <laughs> um, well, my quest to interview developers from around the world continues because you're the first people from South Africa at any rate. Um, so... I was wondering if you could, before we start talking about Beautiful Desolation, if you guys would like to introduce yourselves and then say very briefly what your favorite adventure or narrative games are. Um, well, my name, um, I'm, I'm Chris. So I am the uh, artist and uh, obviously one of the designers for, for Desolation. Um, and I sort of grew up on adventure games, specifically the um, Sierra games, the, uh, mainly the sort of Space Quest uh, series. So I love the fact that you can actually die quite violently in, in adventure games. Um, but I must say, like recently, some of my favorite games have been ones that are really focused on a lot of world building. Um, and I think things like Dead Space is a huge inspiration. Uh, the Mass Effect series, um, Bioshock, so sort of like those big triple A games that really take world building very, very seriously <clears throat> and try to create worlds that go beyond just the game themselves. Um, and also, of course, Naughty Dog and pretty much anything that they do, I find amazing. Yeah, lovely. And um, my name is Nick, Nick Bischoff. I'm the, I'm the, um, the elder brother, the wiser one. Uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, um, I, I'm the programmer um, on the, on the project. So, uh, Sort of, I handle all the um, the engine stuff and sort of uh, bringing Christopher's uh, uh, visions to to life um, uh, um, with code. 
Um, and then also, I also handle sort of the production side and that. But uh, together we both sort of design the game. Christopher mainly does the narrative and sort of the the, the, um, the writing and or, or works with the writers, um, if not doing all the writing himself um, and the dialogue and that sort of thing. And um, yeah, I sort of mainly handle the technical the technical side of it, uh, making sure everything works. Um, and then my favorite game, my favorite game of all time. Um, I mean, I, I could list thousands of games, but uh, my favorite game of all time would be Star Control 2, which I think is the greatest uh, adventure game ever made. Um, and um, yeah, Chris and I actually had the uh, opportunity to meet Fred and Paul um, in San Francisco, and we actually had a had a beer with them, and uh, that was a, sort of a seminal moment in, in our careers. And uh, yeah, so um, from that side, I sort of, always tend to try and push our games towards that sort of um, cra uh, uh, crazy sort of uh, stock control 2-esque uh, world building side, which is more sort of in line with um, uh, space fantasy, where Chris sort of uh, tends to be sort of more grounded in reality. So I think the sort of combination of us both working together produces an interesting um, aesthetic and, and, and sort of narrative result. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's great to have you know two brothers working together on a game because I've I interviewed speaking with Sierra I spoke with uh, now, name drop the Coles uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I dropped a name there or two names rather <laughs> uh, but I spoke with them actually and you know husband and wife team working yes. for many years together and I asked them as well what was it like for them working together so I'll ask you guys the same what was it like for two brothers working together is it does it help that you know each other so well or uh, or can it cause any issues because you know each other so well? Or how does it, I mean, we know the results are good, but what, what's the process like? Um, you know, Nick and I, we've been working together for uh, more than half my life. Um, we started a, a 3D illustration company together when I was just a teenager. Um, and uh, we, we did that for uh, a decade and a half. Um, and we've always sort of made games together, whether they were board games, whether they were card games, whether they were just us sort of talking about the kind of stories that we really like. Um, it's actually to the point where I would find it very weird if I didn't work with Nick. Um, uh, so, and I think that we also, we, we do have a shorthand with each other. Um, I think sort of changes and alterations that would take, you know, um, 20 hour meetings in, in some big companies, we can literally have a cup of coffee and by the end of it, have actually banged out what we need to actually do. Um, so I think the fact that we we just know each other as well as we do definitely makes um, uh, working together very easy. Uh, it can also be quite difficult though because we are brothers, so we 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 do disagree and we do argue. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, I couldn't have a better business partner because I know that any decision that's made. Um, is made with um, our best intentions at at heart. So there's a hundred percent trust in in our relationship. And I think that if you're building worlds and you're building a company and you're doing something as um, incredibly stressful as games is, having that sort of support is extremely important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Chris and I, um, we we ran our business. Uh, it was a fairly large company. Um, we had lots of people who worked from us, but worked for us. But we still, we, we were both in the same office, and we sat um, we sat out of the studio, and we worked uh, together for for a really long time. And I think 
um, we honed our skills um, in terms of uh, the larger projects that we tackled um, in, in the corporate world. Um, and we sort of brought those skills um, of working together um, almost, it's, it's quite strange, it's almost in the exact same capacity whereby Christopher would run the studio, the art studio, and direct all the artists, um, and I would handle sort of the business side, um, the administrative side, uh, making sure all the processes uh, flowed and that sort of project management, that sort of thing, whereas um, in our current our current um, um, occupation, it's almost exactly the same. We're just mm. doing something different. So I think we've just been working together for so long that we sort of, we're almost one person. It's, pr it's pretty yeah. weird. <laughs> so you're like the Coen brothers of uh, adventure games or games. Yeah. <laughs> Do you finish each other's sentences as well? Or? Oh, we don't even need to speak to each other. We just, we just <laughs> laugh. We know the jokes already. So yeah. <laughs> so kind of like true, true speaking, what is it? Uh, telekinesis now? That yeah. Yes, yeah. We, we, we just look at each other and raise an eyebrow and can both burst out laughing at the same time. <laughs> oh, well, that, that, that's great to hear that, you know, two writer is getting on so well and then making such great games as well um because your first game now i might get the pronunciation of this completely wrong is it stasis that's right yes stasis. stasis so this was released a few years ago to great acclaim i believe it won an aggie award adventure gamer was it best adventure game of the year award or yes yeah yes. I, I, I think we run we got best narrative i think best writing and an adventure game of the year um i, I, I might be wrong, wrong, wrong with that but yeah it, it was it was more than one so i was quite quite thrilled about that yeah con congratulations because i do Thank remember you. it was a few years ago but um now i i do I have not played it yet, but when I saw that game that everyone was talking about, kept winning awards, I was like, oh, this I guess is a pretty <laughs> good game then. Yeah, Stasis, uh, I think it was uh, August uh, 31st, 2015, we released that. So uh, four years odd or so ago, four and a bit years ago. Um, uh, yeah. And was this kind of inspired, at least partly by, did you mention Star Control? Was that one of the inspirations for this game? So, so Stasis was was um, sort of like more inspired by uh, Dead Space and Alien and the the kind of like sci-fi horror um, aspect. And it actually started as a, a small side project that I was doing uh, while we had while we were running our main company. And I needed um, uh, it was sort of December holidays came around, and I just wanted to play around with some ideas that I had. And then over the years, it sort of became this larger project. And then when Kickstarter came around um, and sort of the uh, broken age came on and suddenly everybody started to kickstart their adventure game projects, we thought, let's just give it a try and see if we can make it into something bigger. Um, but it was definitely inspired by sort of like my absolute love and adoration for Alien and anything um, uh, sort of sci-fi horror related. Uh, and then um, when we spoke about Desolation, uh, I know Nick definitely wanted to bring aspects of Star Control 2 into into desolation well again from the from the graphics alone it certainly does have the look of a horror sci-fi that you mentioned you know from the alien thing and one thing about beautiful desolation as well which i can ask you now as well because not so many adventure games have an isometric point of view um so how did you guys decide upon this on well st stasis and beautiful desolation and what is it about the isometric point of view that um that that you like basically 
Yeah, so I think um, I think that the, uh, the 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 view is quite. I, I, it's 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 strange to say uh, or say why we keep using it, but I think that the view, the sort of angle that we render the graphics at, it, it does have a nostalgia factor um, that sort of appeal that appeals to us. Um, we've got pretty good at at, at producing isometric uh, graphics. You know, we've uh, we've worked on a couple of games, not just for our studio. We've done couple of outsourced projects uh, sort of in the concept design phase for a couple of other um, isometric games, some we can't really speak about, but um, for some fairly large studios. And it seems that um, it's just a great angle. It kind of it kind of allows you to show the environment off really well. Um, it, uh, it works really well in 2D. And there's a host of technical reasons that isometric works really, and those reasons are, the, are why they used it in the 90s. Um, we sort of um, brought that into our current games um, from the nostalgia factor and also the fact that we've got really good at doing isometric graphics. I mean, at some point we'll probably move into um, fully 3D environments and that sort of thing. But for our budgets and for our um, um, asset pipeline and that, just it just sort of works. Uh, Chris, do you want to say anything about the technical side of the art? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I think that um, our games have always really focused on the environment. Um, you know, we uh, I started off as an architectural artist, so we started off we, we did renderings for companies that wanted concept uh, illustrations done for their architecture. Um, so when I, I was first looking at doing some sort of game art, uh, most of the things that I focused on was definitely architectural and structural. Um, and I think that there's something magical about isometric games where you sort of you have this small character that's existing in this very large world around them and it's a way to really show off the um the size and scale um and even down to like the claustrophobic nature of an environment with isometric and also it, it's it can be challenging as well and i actually really enjoy um the challenge uh, but there's also i think a very big thing is um uh, we, we can make very high production, uh, very high levels of production art um, with a very tight pipeline that we actually have. So we can make, I've always said to Nick, like, I'd rather have the absolute best looking 2D isometric game available than the kind of like okayest looking first person sort of sort of game. And I know that we can produce incredible isometric art. Um, and also, I just I just really enjoy it. It's just one of my favorite sort of viewpoints, yeah, camera angles to actually work with. Yeah, I definitely agree that you're pretty good at the isometric. <laughs> it's okay. No, it, yeah. It's okay. It's <laughs> fine. I mean, I'm sure I could do better. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, it, they, they look absolutely fantastic. And in in beautiful desolation as well, it's so incredibly detailed. I remember, I, I've not finished it yet, as I mentioned before recording, but certainly from the very beginning and when you go through when you're moving the character around and when you just see for example a car that's covered up by the vines or the bush and you see this i mean beautiful desolation really does describe the game as any title does because <laughs> it is post-apocalyptic and des des desolate but it is beautiful mm -hmm. and another thing as well that i noticed with beautiful desolation are the cutscenes that you mentioned naughty dog I, I mean, th these cutscenes, they look like a huge studio, you know, made. And again, I'm not just saying this to make you guys, you know, feel good. I genuinely, oh, my shucks. jaw dropped. <laughs> that, that, truly, I, that, I, I was absolutely amazed when I saw the cutscenes in the trailer, first of all, then when I was playing the game. 
that even just now when the ship lands at the very beginning, um, how many people, you know, have worked on the cutscene? Was it just the two of you? Or? One. <laughs> well, well, me. Yeah. Um, wow. Uh, so I, I've, wow. <laughs> essentially, like, um, probably 95% of the of the art that's done in the game, um, I do. We do have a, a, another artist um, who does uh, sort of some of the concept stuff for us and some of the structural stuff. But in terms of the cinematics, um, it was basically me with my laptop. Um, and yeah, just trying to get as, as much as much cinematics done as possible in the, the very short timeline that we actually had. Well, I mean, big companies, you know, Naughty Dog and Ubisoft and all, they, they should really be calling you and saying, here, <laughs> we'll tell you what, you what you want. Because, and again, I'm serious about it, I'm genuine about this. They are some of the best cutscenes that I've ever seen in, in certainly adventure games. That it was, you know, it was, my jaw was dropping when I saw that. And now even more, one guy on his laptop... <laughs> but yeah um, i mean i think yeah. it sort of goes back to um back to our roots again you know we, when we we when we were running our um illustration company we were a small team and we, we were about uh, fluctuated but we were on average about 10 people but we were doing enormous projects that some studios were working on with 100 people we were doing with 10 we just sort of honed our pipeline to be able to produce that kind of graphics with a, with a small team and uh Obviously, that was all designed by Chris. So um, later on, um, he sort of brought those skills um, into our game. But you know, the truth is that if you're doing your own project and you don't have, you can do anything, then um, you sort of aren't bound by client limitations. So the AAA games and stuff are often, you know, they're bound by um, the publishing studio has to get involved, and there's you know a thousand artists who touch it in some way. So so you more sort of your creativity is more confined whereas now chris can just do anything um which is you know scary in itself but uh it uh it does produce good results one of of the things we did was i actually did all of the landing sequences in the game and i didn't tell nick about them and i spent about uh two or three weeks on weekends and i just sort of did them and i i I, nick actually said we're not having him in the game we don't have the time to do it and i was like yeah but they'll look really cool so I spent about two or three weeks. I put them out. I showed them to Nick, and we put them in the game. And that's something that, at you know, a large studio, a, an artist couldn't really do that and actually have that exist in in the end product. Um, so I definitely think the the fact that we've got a very uh, minimal line that goes from like let's do this cool thing to the cool thing actually being in the game. The fact that there's only one person that has to go through definitely helps us in being able to make something. Um, that looks like a lot more hands have actually touched it. Right. Yeah. I mean, certainly with other AAA games, I don't want to mention any games. I'm sure they're not listening. <laughs> but you know, some other AAA games that even the cutscenes and all they sometimes look a bit jerky. As you mentioned, mm. like a thousand artists, and it's like, well, there's so many artists they are paying them so much money, and this is the result. Whereas in your case, it's one of you, and this is the result. It's like. <laughs> You know, okay, maybe everyone should just have one person and his laptop. We'll take the compliment. <laughs> Naughty Dog, phone us. Yes, well, yeah. Or Blizzard, you know, if you, if you yeah. guys understand. Sure. Yeah, we'll no, I mean, them. okay, I, I don't mean Naughty Dog because the Uncharted games, <laughs> Last of Us, they do look incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. But other AAA games, it's like, I mean, it's not bad, but, you know, Beautiful Desolation, it, it does genuinely look, you know, mind-blowing. <laughs> 
that's um thank you thank you for uh, the compliment yeah, no worries and i do mean it i'm not just saying it just because you guys are here Check so is in the mail yeah thank you thank you so <laughs> i was just about to ask you that so um so so when you know there was uh, conversion rates currency rates yes. we can discuss after recording yes. <laughs> lovely um well now speaking of uh, we spoke a bit about the technical side um i was wondering if you guys could talk about the story and because i know with beautiful desolation as well as the story there is world building as well which uh, we we mentioned with other games uh, first of all what is the general setup of, of this game for people who haven't played it yet Sure. Okay, super. So the game takes place uh, in South Africa, um, in Cape Town, and it's set in, uh, well, it begins in the late 70s. And uh, it's essentially, um, it's in, essentially asked the question that uh, if we were on our current uh, timeline and everything was fine, the 70s were happening, all, you know, everyone's progressing, and all of a sudden, um, a large uh, object appeared in the sky um, of an uh, object of an impossible shape appeared in the sky, and um, governments were able to um, extract technology from this, and in a very short time, rapidly expand their technology. What would happen to the world? And that's really where the sort of the core um, uh, nugget of the story comes from, the core root of the story. And then we, in that in that framework, we tell a very simple story um, about two brothers and um, and their companion robot and them dealing with their um, personal relationships um, and, their, and, and Mark's um, technophobia and, and, um, and their, very, their, their terrible childhood that they had, as, as well as um, some events that happened in, in um, Don, the one brother's life, and how they deal with it. Um, so essentially, they're ordinary people put into an extraordinary situation. I mean, that's really the, 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 the root of the, of the, of the, of the premise. Yeah, it's uh, at least from what I've played, it's you know a bit like an old well history in our time, then an alternate history, and then yes. well, I won't say too much more for spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, as you mentioned, it's um, it's a simple concept about these two brothers and their companion Pooch, isn't it? Yes, that's right. Yeah, Pooch, yes. re really adorable, even when she wants to arrest you. Yes. <laughs> but she says, oh, I want to, you're under arrest. But it's like, oh, you're so adorable. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we actually, uh, we had the voice actress before we even designed Pooch. We, we designed Pooch with her in mind. Um, she, she voiced a character on one of our other games. And we told her that we, we love her so much, we're definitely going to bring her into um, our next game. And we sort of wrote a character for her for her lovely voice. She does a lot of, she's actually quite well known um, in the States. She, she does a lot of anime um, cartoons, and she also does a lot of video games as well. She's so, um, the voice of Jinx in uh, League of Legends. Uh, yeah. I think it's oh. her most sort of well-known role. Yeah, oh, so okay. she's, she, but she's got a lovely voice, and we sort of she she's just an amazing actress. And we we did some we did well we did all of the live uh, voice recordings with her. She was in her studio, and we skyped in, and we um, watched and listened to her uh, actually produced and we directed her. Um, while she was uh, doing her voice work. And uh, it's just incredible. She can cry, you know, boggles mind. She can cry on demand. She can laugh on demand. She can change her, her sort of emotive state um, on a second, in a second, on request. She can change it. So she, she really is, uh, she really brought a lot mm -hmm. to the character. But, and uh, an absolute pleasure to work with as well. Yeah. 
Uh, absolutely. When I first um, was playing, I had the main character, Mark, kind of be a little bit kind of suspicious and a little bit mean because, you know, she was trying to arrest him. Yes. But then, yeah. I felt, then I felt really bad about it because she was the character <laughs> so adorable. And I, and I love the way when the characters are moving and then if you stop and then she just rolls along on her back and on her tummy. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. They are, they are, that took me like a month to implement her, her whole AI system. And no one's noticed. I actually said to Chris today, no one's noticed. Because if you stand still, she'll actually run around and chase like a bird and, yes. and sniff around and <laughs> that sort of thing. But um, I think no one said anything. But I think, you know, originally we just had her following and not doing anything. You kind of – there was no a character. In, and her running around sort of gives her a little bit of um, dog-like, uh, dog-like character, I think. Well, you could have a video, you know, trailer video for each of the characters, and you could just focus on food. Say, look at all the work we did, guys. <laughs> no, Chris actually I... put a pooping animation in there, which I didn't, I refused to use, but uh, yeah, maybe. One of her pooping and peeing. She's got her leg against a tree, and we haven't used it in the game. And I'm it was a bit too dog like. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I don't remember Dash, but. <laughs> or it could be like. Okay, it could be like a special ability. A DLC, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and well, well, yeah. So that's um, uh, that's that's great. And then, you know, at least at the very beginning of the game, you mentioned as well as this big, massive object in the sky. It gives me a sort of District Nine vibes. Was that intentional, or is that just a coincidence? You know, it, it's it's very difficult to create a science fiction story set in South Africa without. <laughs> Having District Nine vibes. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean the, the the visuals that they came up with. Um, uh, not even in the actual movie, in the actual short that it was based on, which is is called "I'm um, Alive in Joburg," are just so strong. Um, and there's even there's the one scene with the helicopters that are sort of flying towards it, and that's literally almost like a one-to-one take on a similar scene in the District Nine trailer that I absolutely loved. Um, so yeah, there's definitely. Um, District 9 uh, influences in the game and and just sort of Neil Blomkamp's visual style is so strong um, that uh, yeah, I, I look at all of stuff, even the, the stuff they did for um, the Anthem trailer, um, I sort of took a lot of, of, of inspiration with the matte paintings uh, and the stuff he did for that so yeah, the, his, his work is absolutely fantastic Yeah, certainly at the beginning, now then once we get into the game itself it's now Certainly it has its own identity from the start, but then it moves on definitely to its own identity um, then afterwards. But certainly I did feel, oh, this is like District 9, but as you mentioned, it's set in South Africa with a big, huge alien object in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Um... <laughs> you know, it's, it's difficult. Uh, South Africa is such a politically charged uh, country. It's very difficult to tell a story, um, which is, I think, why people don't tell uh, that many um, story so without sort of delving into the politics um, of it and I actually watched a documentary today um, on District 9 where Neil Blomkamp said that he didn't want District 9 to be a political story he said there could be some tone like sort of undertones in it but it wasn't about politics it wasn't about um, the horrible past of this country it was sort of um, just just a cool story set in this place and that we sort of wanted to do that as well we just wanted to tell a really cool story and sort of showcase um showcase uh the beauty of the place and not sort of dwell on um 
on the uh, the atrocities of the past. So we sort of we threw out any political leanings. We told a really cool story about robots and that sort of thing, and uh, the crazy people who live in this futuristic world. Yeah, that's that, that's also what I what I got actually. That is, I didn't find it to be political as well. I mean, I'm not South African or anything, but I didn't get any. You know, I mean, I'm sure there are some people can. You know, People bring what they want to bring, yeah, like they sure. see what they want to see as mm-hmm. well. Uh, you know, to say, oh, the robot could represent uh, whatever, or Pooch could represent whichever yes. government. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but uh, yeah, that's also, I think, a thing in uh, in in your favor of of the story that it's it can be enjoyed by. I mean, it's set in South Africa, which it, it does have kind of the African landscapes and all, but it could be enjoyed by anybody. You don't need to really be an expert on African culture. So in fact, you learn. I feel we learn a lot by playing this game. Um, which brings me to my next question, which is a question that my father asked me when I spoke about this game, is are the, the locations in the game, are they based on some real locations or are they just are they locations that you guys made up while making the game? Uh, so um, initially, we, we we did sort of look at you know um, how accurately are we actually going to portray uh, um, the actual geography of the country, and instead we decided to more focus on the feel of the space rather than sort of you know these are the parliamentary buildings. And I didn't want it to to do what um, I think it was Fallout Three did, and also I suppose Fallout Four, where they're kind of like accurately modelled. Um, their sort of scaled down version of Washington DC. So we sort of more wanted um, the look and the feel of the area. And what we actually did was we ended up using a lot of photogrammetry. Um, so I actually went out and I took 3D scans of the environment of rocks and trees and, and that. And then we actually took those and we um, manipulated their scale and their size. So it had the flavor of South Africa and the flavor of the um, the, 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 the planting in that but sort of like a little bit twisted and a little bit different to to what's normally there. Um, and I think in the fact that we weren't confined by the geography um, uh, meant that we could really sort of go wild and do whatever we wanted. And as we said, sort of it becomes a story that's more got the background of, of, of South Africa in terms of the, the cultural touchstones rather than the actual geographic touchstones of, of what the area is. And, and then this game, as we mentioned, it focused on two brothers. Was the relationship between two brothers, was any of that based on or inspired by the relationship between the two of you? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a raging alcoholic. No, I'm a raging alcoholic. <laughs> um, no not, not really. I, I suppose um, we sort of, uh, uh, it was a lot of it was creative writing. Um, unlike um, um, uh, Mark and Don, uh, we actually, Chris and I get along really well. Um, but um, I think it's, I, I think that, um, you know, you still sort of take a little, a little bit of um, uh, inspiration from relationships, things you've read, and that sort of thing, and sort of bring it into the game. I mean, we we um, we wanted Don to have um, a really strong background, where and and Mark, the protagonist, to not have an as fleshed out background because that that was who the player was um, controlling. So, Don, we we elaborate a lot during the game on his where he came from and and um, what he what he did and that sort of thing. Um, uh, Ian Cullen. Um, so, so in the story, um, Don is a war veteran. Um, there's a there's a, un, a, a relatively unknown war in, that happened in South Africa. It was South Africa's. This is in real life. It was South Africa's equivalent of the the Vietnam War. It was a horrible war that was fought 
um, um, on the border of uh, South Africa and, and uh, with the neighboring countries um, in the um, late 60s and the 70s. In South Africa, it's known as the border war. It was a, a, a really terrible war um, in South Africa and we had a conscripted army, so you couldn't, you couldn't not go. And um, the uh, character Don fought in this war and did terrible things. And the, the, the game is set before PTSD was ever diagnosed. So basically he, the game sort of tells a story about how Don dealt with that. And, and throughout the whole game, he's dealing with that, that traumatic past. And um, we were very lucky in that Ian uh, Cullen, who did the voice of Don, actually fought in this war in real life. Wow. And um, we passed, what we did was when we wrote uh, the script for him, we had him look it over because we didn't want to be insensitive to um, the war. So we did a lot of research into the war, but we didn't want to um, sort of uh, say things that would um, be offensive or sort of uh, say things that would uh, were, were not true. So he, he actually had a hand in just reviewing it and making sure we were on the right track and that the emotive um, points that we made in the story would be something that someone who experienced that conflict would um, uh, would say. So, yeah, so, um, Chris, did you want to have say anything about that? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, an, an important thing, particularly in with Don, was just to create as honest a portrayal as possible of somebody who had fought in that conflict um, and was suffering from PTSD and was trying to actually, uh, or shell shock as they called it then, and was trying to actually deal with it. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think that in, in all characters that um, a writer writes, there's always a bit of bit of yourself that you actually uh, leave in there. And for me, it's definitely not. I mean, Nick and I actually have a fantastic childhood. Um, we see my, my talk, I talk to my dad every day. Nick talks to my dad um, every day as well. They actually live very, very close to us. Um, we actually have worked with them, with, with my, my parents as well. Um, but I think that you always sort of take um, little bits of, of yourself and put them into your characters. Uh, so it's it's a case of like, although the relationship itself and the things that they go through aren't mirrored in our life, there's definitely bits of the things that they say and what they feel um, that do come through um, from me and when, when I actually do write the characters. And that actually goes for all the characters, including Pooch, um, who was a, quite a difficult one to actually uh, write the story of. It's very real, Dan. It, it makes me think of Dawn in a different light, knowing that uh, the actor himself was in this this war that you mentioned, and um, and the, the voice acting, the two voice actors, they are both South African, yes. Um, or <laughs> <laughs> no, no. So, um, so obviously, uh, Sarah Williams is American. Pooch is American. Okay, and yeah. Then, <laughs> and the two brothers, <laughs> Julian. So Julian Casey, voice mark. Julian Casey actually is a. He's a very well-known voice actor um, from um, Canada, but he oh. grew up in uh, in South Africa and I think Zambia. So he has a South African um, a South African accent. Um, well, he can actually do uh, lots of different accents, but one of the accents that he can do is South African. And uh, he did a lot of the voices in Far Cry, sort of the um, Australian mercenaries, mercenaries <laughs> and that sort of thing. He does. If there's ever a, a South African mercenary, which is sort of the stereotype, um, Julian Casey's done that voice. And uh, <laughs> so he's based in Canada. I think he works for Ubisoft full time. Um, yes, yeah. But uh, he's there for one of their full time uh, voice actors. But he uh, he kindly uh, lent us his voice for for this character. So we we tried <laughs> to. 
he also I think he also did back uh, in in one of the Far Cry games. Um, so he does an Australian villain as well, quite quite effectively. Yeah. So they. So um, I think his parents are South African. Um, but he, he did grow up here, and, and obviously Ian Cullen actually lives in Cape Town. He lives down the road from us. So both of them um, are, um, are South African based uh, uh, voice actors. South African uh, uh, origin, or, I don't know, whatever the word is. They originated <laughs> originally here. from South Africa. Originally yeah. from South Africa, yeah. Sure, yeah. Well, so, it's great to, so he could do, yeah, that's where, I mean, I am far from an expert on South African accents. But <laughs> to me, when I was playing the game, they sounded authentic. They sounded yeah. like real South Africans, not people trying to put on yeah. South no, African are, accents. But. They're OG <laughs> South Africans. You know, South Africans... We're, we are experts at picking accents and we can pick, we, um, we're very good. I don't know. It's, I think it's because there's so many different people who live in South Africa. We have, I think, 12 or 13 official languages now. I think sign languages, I think there's um, uh, yeah, sign languages. Like, yeah, sign languages. Sign language language. So we have um, a huge variety of people in South Africa. We, and we sort of, because um, of our geographic location, we have... Um, a lot of people and, and the tourist industry, a lot of Americans, Australians, British. Uh, so we're sort of really good at picking out the accents, and we can we can spot a, a fake South African accent from a mile away. And I'm looking at you, Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> I was going to mention that. I was going yes. to mention that. <laughs> what what was his accent actually like in Blood Diamond? Uh, you can be uh, honest. I don't okay. think he listened to this podcast. <laughs> it, it, it I don't think he cares it, <laughs> it, it actually wasn't terrible. It, it was almost like um, it had like a Durban quality to it. But I think he was actually playing a Rhodesian, so or a Zimbabwean um, <laughs> instead of a South African. So I can forgive that some of stuff. But some of the ways he used the slang words were just not not very good. A bit cringe, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but uh, I, I yeah, think Matt, Matt, Matt Damon, I think, has the best South African accents uh, as far as. Um, non-South Africans go in, in Hollywood. Matt Damon's accent is actually very good. Which movie did he play South African again? I, I uh, he was um, uh, in Invictus. Uh, he played Francois. Oh, Pinar I haven't seen that. I really Invictus. need to see that film. Yeah, yeah. It, and he's, he's very good in it. And his accent is actually pretty pretty spot on. Yeah, well, be, being Irish, I do know what it's like to have people butcher your accent. <laughs> you know, we've had Again, people who I like, but Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks, Jared uh, Butler, all of them butcher the Irish accent. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I, I do understand there. So at least in this game, to my non-expert ears, they did sound authentic. Thank you. <laughs> and, uh, and also you mentioned that uh, the actor there was in Far Cry, that he played the South African villains, Australian villains. So he could play characters from three different continents from canada yeah, australia south yeah. africa that's his his voice acting um, sort of does all um he does a whole i think he also does a british accent as well i mean he's literally a professional voice actor um you know uh, essentially not just sort of doing his own voice he literally he does it obviously does an american canadian voice as well but um he sort of uh he's very character he's, he's a yeah. character artist is that's the right word chris yeah Hmm. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing what he sounds like in in those games. Yeah. But yeah. but in in this game as well, it, uh, what I was noticing as well is that it's great that this is a game with an African setting, but it's it doesn't play because in a lot of other games, especially through Tom Clancy games or Call of Duty, I haven't played those games. But in 
a lot of times when they go to Africa, the heroes are usually American, <laughs> and they're usually shooting terrorists. Yes. <laughs> it's like, oh, there's a terrorist. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's great that this is just, it's just set in Africa, but it's with African characters, with South African characters. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, that was one of our, we, we, if we said it here, we said we were going to find the right actors to to play it locally. And uh, we were really lucky to, to find Ian. Ian's actually um, quite a well-known uh, voice actor, uh, Ian who played Don, uh, in South Africa. He does a lot of um, radio ads and that sort of thing. And we've actually heard him on the radio before he even uh, uh, got his, uh, his portfolio of work. Um, and then... Um, we, you know, we also we were lucky on this project to be able to work again with um, Ryan Cooper and Glenn Cooper, who provided the voices for our other characters in our other games. Um, they definitely will work with us on all our games that we ever make. So we <laughs> we um, we found roles for them in this game as well. Unfortunately, they can't do a South African accent yet. Uh. So. <laughs> uh, maybe actually, it's, it's, it's pretty good. good. I like it. It's, it's pretty good. Yeah, Ryan's Ryan's accent was pretty good. Yeah, Ryan's actually, I lie, Yeah, it was pretty good. And Glenn. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to try it because I can't even do my own accent. So, <laughs> so I can't do it. I, love <laughs> I can't it. I love do other accents. So. <laughs> oh, uh, no, same with the South African accents. It's, I watch um, Trevor Noah. I'm sure oh, you've heard yeah, of him. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Christopher, Christopher actually, actually went, went to school with Trevor. Oh, yeah, I went to school with really? Trevor. Really? Literally. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. He probably mentioned you in his book then, because I read his book. <laughs> yeah, just went to I'm in the Ask annex me. there, and uh, you know, awesome people. It's yeah, yeah. We we went uh, yeah from sort of standard six, which is grade eight through to grade twelve. Um, yeah, we were at, at school together. So any of the school stories that he actually tells, I was I was there for most of them. Well, okay, no, because he's uh he's I mean his book is incredible. And, and, you know, all the things that he got up to and that he did. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and now this will be recorded in, in March. He's supposed to come to Ireland at the end of March. Not sure if we can come, depending on how this coronavirus goes. Hopefully yeah. we can still, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, but um, anyway... Um, back, back to that. I could spend a long time to talk with Trevor Noah, but it, yeah. seems, it, it's almost that cliche, you know, when someone says, "Oh, you're from Africa. Do you know Trevor Noah?" and Chris says, "Yes," it seems I, I, quite I ridiculous. ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's like, wow. Yeah. I mean, you went to school with Trevor Noah, one of the most famous comedians now. It's like, wow. Yeah. Um, well, okay. Well, now I'm trying to get my mind back on because again, my mind is blown. First of all, the cutscenes, and now <laughs> um, I've always thought of, if I ever see Trev, I'm going to go after him and go. So, what have you been doing for the last couple of years? <laughs> what have you been up to? Yeah, it's, it's, I heard you did something with comedy. Uh... <laughs> yeah, no, his book is really incredible. Uh, if people have a chance to read it, it's really, really good. Um, and and back in the in the game, in this game there are different clans or groups or tribes mm -hmm. uh, so, so now again we don't want to give any spoilers but what can you tell us about the different clans that are in the game and how did you come up with these different types of people that types of groups or clans um you know uh, so as as nick said earlier like he he tends to go for the more um like the weirder stuff and i tend to try to go for like more grounded things so essentially it became a case of us just writing up these really weird documents of ideas um, and then trying to sort of whittle down the ones that um, that were uh, that, that, that we felt would exist sort of better in, in, in the actual world. 
Um, so we've got uh, one of the, the main groups is called um, the Chisanyama, and that's actually a play on a, a South yes. African word called um, Shisanyama, which is, I think it means burnt meat in Zulu. And it's actually a, um, a sort of like a communal eating experience. Um, and uh, they, they're this uh, actually based off like the, the, the Zokfik Pak, I think it is in Star Control 2, of these kind of like three people that speak as one. Um, and uh, they're actually one of the more interesting uh, groups that you actually deal with in the game. Um, and I don't want to sort of spoil this for anybody, but um, uh, they, depending on how you play, you get a very different reaction to the actual group. Um, yeah. And then sort of other things like um, the Dullahan and Neprochorsis and that uh, we try to give everybody these sort of shared experiences in the world. And an important thing is religion um, that a lot of people sort of have touchstones to. So we actually sort of wrote this idea for this um, religion that follows these three gods that created the world. Um, and everybody has a sort of a, their own point of view on on who those three gods um, actually are um, and uh, yeah it was it was a lot of fun to create that sort yeah. of like very in-depth background uh, so, for, for the world yeah we literally used um, Chris plays a lot of tabletop gaming like uh, tabletop RPGs and stuff and we literally used D&D templates to make so you basically take a character sheet and you write out what the character name is um, you know, you can drill down all the way down to what they eat, um, what, what their history is, what their weaknesses are, and that sort of thing. And we, we did that for each character, and then we sort of um, looked at how they would work together, and then we looked at what, so how would they look visually. We sort of, it's, we sort of just did it from the ground up. I mean, I think that would be the only way to tackle a project of, of this scale um, with, I don't even know, how many different uh, characters are there, Chris? Um, uh. there's, I think 40. it's 40, 46 characters, I yeah, think. Yeah, 46 uh, characters, and they're all fully voiced in it. So we sort of had to design each of them and um, design their history and their backstory and sort of how they relate in the world and what, what they've been up to and, and uh, yeah, and make it interesting. So, I mean, that was also the difficult difficult part. Yes, certainly. That's, um, that's another thing that I was going to mention is that there all the characters are have voice actors, which for a game of this scope is yeah. pretty is pretty incredible as well. It's, and um, then with the, in terms of gameplay, because it, it looks like an RPG. We talked, we spoke about the isometric, but then it plays like an adventure game. Um, what what can you tell us then about the gameplay? Because there are choices with the, with how you respond as well correct yes yes that's right so we sort of we we um our our bread and butter games are um point and click adventure games although we like to rather just say you know point and click has certain connotations with it people immediately think sort of sierra type um, mm. type games and we wanted to do sort of a bit more of a serious game like our other point and click adventures so we kind of um, didn't use the word, we never thought of the game as a point and click, rather just as an adventure game told in isometric, but obviously using the um, well-established mechanics of point and click. So go here, do this, combine items to solve a puzzle, to unlock an area and, and move forward. You know, that sort of really basic game flow. Um, so, uh, yeah, the game, it's it sort of, I think it, it, it looks like an RPG just because those games originally... Um, use that uh, that that aspect and a lot of people say oh you know um they didn't realize it was just an adventure game but if they look at our other games 
those are the kind of games we've made before. It's really is just a just a simple adventure game, but told really seriously. It's not really it's not really a comedy. It's it's a it's a serious game. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, de- definitely. And then I I believe there I haven't got to this part yet, but I believe are there some dice rolling segments later on in the game. Like in uh, or what what they call it some action scenes. Now again, I'm sure you can correct me. Uh, what can you tell us about this part so, of the game? So what what we wanted to do was was kind of add in um, some sort of mini games to actually break up the 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 sort of gameplay a little bit. Very much like uh, the old Space Quest games you used to do. You know, in Space Quest Five. This is the one part where you have to play battleships. I mean, Space Quest Six actually has like an arcade uh, fighter game. Um, so we wanted to sort of add these these little mini games in, um, and uh, the one of the mini games is a, a dice game called Tick, which is sort of like a, a gambling game that you actually play. Um, and then what we did as well is we actually have um, a small sort of uh, arcade combat arena um, that's uh, based around kind of like a, a very simple uh, turn-based um, combat mechanic. Um, and that was a lot of fun to actually come up with. And um, what we actually did with that is we designed. We used that as a template and we designed a lot of our of our characters uh, to sort of get the visual guide when we did the, um, the actual combat arcade. And then we sort of took those designs and spread them out throughout the entire game. Um, but an important thing for us with the combat specifically is that you can go through the entire game and never engage in, in combat. So it's a 100% choice. And um, in the game, we built a lot of uh, choice and consequence and, and karma in the game to the point where sort of not engaging in combat is as valid of a choice as if you decide to actually go that route. And there's an entire sort of quest storyline that you can go on if you want to do that. But if you don't do it, then there's another branch of the story that you can actually take that goes off in another direction. Um, And it really was just us trying to play around with seeing how far out of the mold we could break a regular adventure game um, and then making certain to sort of be able to bring the players back in and seeing how we could weave that narrative. Um, it was it was a grand experiment, and I think uh, I think it was quite effective. Yeah, so just add variety to the game, but also, as you mentioned, that the player has a choice. Yeah, uh, exactly. That's, exactly. That's, that's good. I always like when you have a choice, but <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, whether we make the right choice or not is a, is a different story. But, yeah. <laughs> um, and then we, uh, you know, we... I think we'd be remiss not to mention the music in the game. So we mentioned uh, the cutscenes and the story and the world building. And what what can you tell us about the music? Because again, this is again like a AAA studio would. Yeah. So we we were lucky enough, you know, on Stasis we got to uh, work with Mark Morgan, who um, is you know he's almost the godfather of game music. He he did the original fallout um he sort of uh is just um he i mean he is sort of a yeah i think he's conducted orchestras and that sort of thing he's more sort of a more traditional uh, musician um that does video game music so most of his stuff now is movies and tvs but uh, we lucked out and he actually agreed to do um our soundtrack for stasis and then um one of our backers um what happened to be Mick Gordon and uh, Mick Gordon liked the project and Mick Gordon said, Hey, can I do the music for you guys? And I said, we said, yeah, cool. So Mick Gordon, he, um, uh, 
he got famous because of our game. No, I'm only joking. Obviously, he did. Uh, <laughs> he did. He's uh, another Doom. small game called Doom or something. Yeah, so. Doom. yeah. I think I think <laughs> so, I've heard of it. Yeah. So he, um, you know, at the time when he started our music, uh, work on our music, he actually did some live show which had a million people watching it and that. So he was he was pretty pretty well known. And we were quite honoured that he he said he had worked with us. And uh, yeah, he um, he spent quite a long time, about a year and a half, on the sound, on the music. But it was just he would just do a track for us and send it through. And um, we uh, he he sort of uh, did it as a passion project, um, just really experimenting with stuff that a sound that he he hasn't really been known for. Although he's done a couple of tracks, I think in uh, Far Cry that as uh, Far Cry Chris that um, uh, and that's eighties. I think he did, there was Prey. There was a Prey. Excuse Prey, me, sorry, yeah. Prey. Sorry, uh, it's late. Um, yeah, it's, sorry, yeah, that's right. Prey had, I think, two 80s kind of tracks right in the beginning of the game. And yeah. uh, we sort of wanted more of that. So he, he, he just sort of let his creativity go. And then what, what we did was we actually sent him, um, we bought a whole bunch of um, um, uh, African instruments that we then shipped over to Australia. And uh, he then used the African instruments to actually make some of the music. So... Um, so the music almost has like sort of an, quite an authentic African theme to it, but it still has a 80s um, synthy sci-fi edge to it. It's quite quite weird. I mean, some of the tracks are very strange, but they're all really really well produced. So um, yeah, we're thankful. We're his, thankful for, for that. His, his work is just amazing, and he's also probably one of the most down-to-earth, nice people I think I've ever actually spoken to. Like he's just such just just a nice person just like a nice guy yeah he's really cool he just wants to talk about games and music and stuff he's just really yeah. nice so he um yeah so he sort of lent us his talent and then we filled in he obviously um you know he he was working he well he's just he was working on doom pretty much uh, and wolfenstein at the same time uh so he kind of squeezed us in and then um the remainder of the track we did in-house ourselves so uh we actually produced um the tracks that uh, just to fill up the remaining areas. Um, so it's a sort of a collab between him and us on the work. We we kind of remixed some of his tracks for our tracks, and uh, yeah, sort of uh, it, it 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 produced quite a strange um, soundtrack that um, I think has been very well received. A lot of people have said they really enjoy it, so uh, we're we're happy with that. Oh, I I can imagine it's certainly very unique, a very interesting, very different soundtrack. Yeah. Um, which I, I think as well it works it really helps to set the atmosphere uh, of the game and um, there is so, so much more that I could ask you about but you know about the mythology and the world building but I think that would be going into spoiler territory and I haven't yes. finished the game myself yet and I do know it's getting late over there for you guys so uh, before before we go then yes. do you, and I know it's still there you've just released this game so you you probably want to take a bit of a break as well, because I know you're still working on it as well. Um, but do you have any ideas what you might like to do next? Or yeah. first, well, first of all, go on holiday. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yes. uh, yeah. You say that we're, we're actually workaholics. We've actually been in the office solidly since release because we we're getting the ports out so to get it to work on Linux and that sort of thing. And then also, um, you know, we've just been updating um, the game as well regularly. So. Anybody, you know, sort of fixing any little bugs, or and we've also added, um, we've added some um, not content, hint added, system, and... a hint system, yeah, where oh. people are getting stuck. We added a quest marker system, so people can turn it on if they get stuck, and basically it'll sort of try, help guide them in the right direction. Um, and uh, yeah, so we've been doing that, but um, 
yeah, we, we're going to probably slow down now, but um, <laughs> we, we, we will plan on, um, uh, we're already planning the next game. I don't know. Chris and I are crazy. I've, I've, actually, I've actually got my, my book is right next to me with the title of the next game written in big letters yeah. on the page that I'm looking at right now. So there, there, there's no rest for the wicked. Yes. <laughs> Which is... Oh, we don't play yet. <laughs> <laughs> <Nearly>. <laughs> so close. Yeah, no, we um it will obviously be an isometric game again, but um yeah, I think that we've you know, every game we do we learn a lot. Um and uh I think we've learned so much uh, um producing this enormous game. I mean some of the playthroughs people are like thirty five hours and that sort of thing, just crazy compared to six to eight hours which was stasis. But mm-hmm. um we, we learned a huge amount on this project and um, everyone we, we get better and better and better. So we're really excited to kind of dive in with all the things that we've um, we sort of learned and uh, we can't wait for people to play our next game. So, you know, that keeps us motivated. Oh, that, that's great. Uh, I want to look forward to playing more of Beautiful Desolation. Uh, but before we, before we go then, uh, what, where can people find you guys? Um, uh, so where, what, web, uh, yeah, what website do you guys have? Where can people find out more about your game and the uh, things you do? That was a terrible um, question. Um, but. <laughs> I, I, I try to be quite active on, on, on Twitter. Um, and our Twitter handle is at Stasis Game. And generally, if anybody sends me a message or something, um, I, I will reply. Um, and then we do have a, a website, which is brotherhoodgames.com. Is it, it's the, the brotherhoodgames.com. Sorry. Yeah, the brotherhoodgames.com. Um, yeah, brotherhoodgames.com. Um, and that's got a link to sort of all of our all of our games. Yeah. Um, but generally, if you know, if if you uh, ask a question on the Steam forum, ask a question on the GOG forum, um, or just send us a message in our contact uh, thing, we one of us will will get back yeah. to you. I think you know, talking to the people and community engagement is is really important to us, um, and we just like talking to people who enjoy what we do. Um, yeah. So if anybody wants to send us a message, like please feel free, and chances are one of us will actually get back to you yeah, soon. If if anyone wants to try out our games, we do have a free game um, on on our website, uh, which is on Steam and GOG. Uh, you can download for free. It's called Kane C A Y N E, and um, that'll sort of give you a taste of what our games are. Um, and then obviously there's uh, Stasis, which is our first game. Um, and then our latest game, which is uh, Beautiful Desolation. Cool. So Beautiful Desolation is available on Steam and GOG, correct? Yes, and GOG. Yes. yes, that's right. Perfect. Okay. Well, thank you very much, guys. Uh, before we finish, is there anything else you guys would like to say to anybody listening? Christopher? Oh, um, please, please buy our games. We want to make more. <laughs> yeah. um, no, you know, um, really, I just think that the the adventure game community um, and people that still play, people that still make adventure games, uh, I think it's honestly, it's 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 one of the best genres. It's one of my favorite genres to actually work within. Um, and I think it's because of people like uh, like you specifically that are, that do these podcasts that have kept a genre that people have been saying is a dead genre for the last. 20 something years and we're sort of proving that it's not and it's only going to get stronger and stronger and better and better yeah there are literally nearly 200 games adventure games per year that are yeah it's, so. it's, it's, it's insane it, it, it's a genre it's not going anywhere. we're going to be here for a very long time um, making awesome games Perfect. I think that's a great note to to finish on. So definitely, you know, you can check out their game, Stasis 
game and your most recent game, Beautiful Desolation. I will add links to your website as well. Thank you. Uh, so thank you very much, Nicholas and Chris, and we'll talk again very soon. It was an absolute pleasure. Absolutely. Have a good evening. Have a good evening. So if you like the Adventure Games podcast, then please subscribe, rate, and review. Wherever you listen to podcasts, please leave a review on iTunes if you can, as every review helps, and reviews will help get the word out, especially for adventure game developers who appear on the podcast. Now, you can also follow me on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at Advent Game Pod. You can follow me on Facebook at Adventure Games Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at Adventure Games Podcast as well. And we're also on Discord at Adventure Games Podcast. So if you are a adventure game developer or adventure game player, you can follow us there. So again, please feel free to retweet and share podcast episodes and the podcast to people who you believe may enjoy it and you can also find more information about the podcast on www.adventuregamespodcast.com so until next time thank you